recording going. Okay, so this is very unusual for us to start early. So, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna do it tonight. There's a handout over there if you want to pick it up. And what it is, I just took the last few notes on our handout from last time that we didn't get to. I want to cover those first before we get into your homework for the week. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully you guys. Uh, did some research and uh, and actually I'm going to give you answers to those, but I'm not giving them to you the end because I want I want to see what you have found as it pertains to some of these issues we mentioned last week. So we're gonna we're gonna look at that in just a minute, and then I've got a handout for you at the end. But we what we were talking about we were kind of breaking down these these aspects uh, about doctrine, uh, reproof, cor- correction, instruction. We we talked about doctrine a little bit more at length, and then we were just we were just uh, we were talking about at the end. Uh, we were talking about that, you know, the doctrine is not ours. Uh, the doctrine is God's doctrine. And that's kind of where we, where we left off. We want to talk about reproof uh, just for a little bit. And so, uh, you know, what what does that look like and how does it, how should it work in our lives? So if you have your Bibles open to Proverbs uh, to start tonight, Proverbs uh, chapter 6, um, pro- sorry, Proverbs chapter 1, not 16, Proverbs chapter 1. And starting in verse 23, and notice what it says. It says, uh, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of simple people shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely. <laughs> and shall be quiet from the fear from fear of evil. Now, that's a pretty potent passage of scripture. And throughout that passage, the word reproof is mentioned several times. And in this particular case, it's always mentioned as I tried to reprove you, and you wouldn't have anything to do with it. And, and God says, basically, because you would not take reproof, because you would not not acknowledge what was wrong and try to fix it because you wouldn't deal with that basically i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty severe picture we get there i mean when you're using words like desolation and destruction and anguish and god's saying this is what's going to come upon you when you fail to accept reproof that's pretty scary folks i don't know about you but that that doesn't set real well with me in my life, if I if that's me in that position, I don't want to be in a position where God says, "Listen, you wouldn't heed what I was giving you, the reproof I was giving you, and so this is going to be your life is going to be calamity." I mean, that's basically what he's what he says in that passage, and so we have to understand that this this is an important issue, uh, and um, and you you saw in that passage, verse twenty five, would none of my reproof, uh, verse thirty, they despised all my reproof. It's interesting. Out of the the word reproof appears 15 times in the Bible. The word reproof appears. 13 of them are in the book of Proverbs. Now, what is the book of Proverbs? It's wisdom literature. That's what Proverbs is. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And so, and so in the midst of the wisdom literature of the Bible, 
What does it tell us? It tells us that we need to accept reproof. And that's what we need we need to do. Then we get to correction. Correction. And we said in our list, correction is basically how to, how to get it right. When we when we, when we we recognize the doctrine, we're reproved of how it's wrong. How do we and we want to get it right? The correction that takes place. And um, and and note what what is what turn back over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaking to the nation of Israel about this issue of correction. And notice what he says, chapter uh, 2 and verse 30. Chapter 2 and verse 30 says this. He says, In vain have I smitten your children. They have received no correction. Your own, own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. Jeremiah says, we, we tried to correct you, and you slew the prophets. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying you wouldn't accept correction. Turn over to chapter 5 and verse 3. Chapter 5 and verse 3, notice what he says. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. What a sad commentary. They have refused to receive correction. Let me give you one more proverb. I mean, Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 28. It says, But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. So three times in the book of Jeremiah we see the idea of not receiving correction. And you, and you know, folks, this is an important issue. Now, now, this is an important issue for young people. I mean, as children are growing up, you know, we correct them because we want to see the right behavior in their life. But, like everybody else in this world, folks, Children have to learn to make decisions on their own. And they can refuse that correction. They can refute that correction, and they can do it to their own detriment. And that's what Jeremiah is talking about. He's talking about a nation here that refused to be corrected, the nation of Israel. But we see that in lies. But, folks, it's not just young people. We see it in young people. We're quick to notice it in young people, aren't we? We're quick to notice the teenager who won't accept correction. You know, what's wrong with that kid? You know, why doesn't that accept correction? You know, something wrong with that kid. And, and I know for a fact that some of us in the room have experienced that with some of our own children. And, and so that where they don't take correction, they won't accept correction. But the fact of the matter is, folks, adults do the same thing. We won't accept God's correction. We refute God's correction. We say, no, God, I'm not going to take that. No, God, I'm not going to accept that. Whatever. I mean, we don't verbalize it. We probably would never verbalize it. Right? I mean, we would never just affront to God, hey, I'm not going to accept that correction. We wouldn't, we wouldn't vocally say that, but we live that sometimes. We don't take his correction. And so uh, it's easy sometimes to throw teenagers under the bus and say, boy, teenagers, they don't accept correction. And that is true, and they need to learn to accept it. But we all have a personal responsibility in our life. And so, and so before I start looking at everybody else, i got to look in the mirror and say, will I accept correction? Do I accept God's correction in my life? And, uh, and that's hard sometimes because, because we, we don't like that. <laughs> we don't like that, that responsibility sometimes. And, uh, but we need to learn to accept correction. Back over to Proverbs uh, just for a minute. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. It says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Accepting God's correction, keeping his commandments. And that takes us into instruction. 
And I want us to notice back in Proverbs, uh, instruction two ways. And I want us to, I want us to notice the, the, uh, the, I guess the contrast here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19 and starting verse 20, it says this. It says, uh, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. So we're encouraged to, to hear counsel, receive counsel and instruction. Why? Because it helps us to be wise when we need to be wise. And he says that we, when we do that, there are many devices in a man's heart, but the Lord's counsel, it will stand. Now compare that passage a little bit further down in the same passage to verse 27 to 29. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth the error from the words of knowledge. An ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scorners, and stripes for the back of fools. Now, what a contrast when it comes to instruction. In one place, he's telling us, listen, be wise, accept instruction, and, and, and if you do that, you're, you're, you're going to have a better life. Because there's wisdom in that, and the Lord's instruction, his counsel is going to stand. The other one is the child, who, or in this case, who's going after wrong instruction. He says, cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err, that causes us to err, that causes us to go down the wrong path. Now, let's, let's put that to us today, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. What's he telling us? He's telling us, listen, don't follow instruction that leads you to error. How do we know if it leads you to error? It leads you to error if it doesn't, not in this book. If it's not what this book says and you're following instruction that goes against this book, that's instruction that leads to error. You know, it, 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 it's very easy, it's very easy to tell if a pastor is pastoring correctly. It really is. It's not, it's not rocket science. If he's pastoring correctly, he's teaching you what this book says. If he's not, he's teaching you something else. And we have pastors all over the country today that are not preaching this book. They're getting in pulpits on Sunday mornings, and, and, and they're, they're teaching blasphemy, really. I mean, they're, they're not following this book. We have whole denominations that are not following this book. And, uh, and, and he's, listen, instruction, God's instruction, where is it? The instruction manual for our life, right here. That's where it is. And so, uh, so that kind of ends that section. The 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 um, well, let me give you two more verses, then we'll end that section. Proverbs thirteen thirty two. The first part of that verse says, "He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul." Wow, that's that's pretty. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Yes. Proverbs fifteen thirty two. The first half of the verse. Yeah, yeah, Proverbs 15.32a. And then Proverbs 15.33a, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. So, so you get you get the negative side and you get the answer right in right there. You know, the negative side is if you refuse instruction, you, you really despise your own soul. Yeah. There's a young man on YouTube say basic instructions before leaving earth. I've never heard that before, but maybe it's something. Basic instructions, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, basic instruction. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, yeah. I think I've heard that before somewhere. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, think about it. 
why, why, why would God say that? Why would God say that he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul? Well, he, said, he can say that for two reasons. Number one, he's given us the instruction manual for our life, and he knows what's best for us. So not only has he given us the instructions, but he knows what instructions are best for us, what we need in our life. So he can say, if you refuse this instruction, you hate your own soul. You despise your own soul. What a thought. And so uh, now that kind of concludes this section. Now, we want to move into where we left off last week. And, and I don't know that we're going to get very far with this this week, to be honest with you. But we're, we're going to work at it. We talked about doctrine, why doctrine is so important. And we talked about whether doctrine, whether the Bible and doctrine speaks to the cultural issues of our day. And we listed a bunch of cultural issues. So what I want to do is I want to spend some time, and I don't know how long this is going to take. It may take a while because I've got a lot of references for some of these. But uh, but I want to look at some of the biggest cultural issues today. So I want to start. I want to start with transgenderism, um, and I'm I'm starting there because you cannot watch the news for one day without being hit in the face with this issue. So it's in the news every single day of our life. It's being fought by school boards and parents. It's it's being fought in businesses, uh, one side or the other side. Usually people taking the wrong side. That's beside the point. But uh, but so I want. So does the Bible speak in some? I mean, you're not going to find the word transgender in the Bible. You're not going to find it because there's no such thing as it. I'll just say that right from the start. Uh, so you're not going to find the word in the Bible because it doesn't exist. There is no such thing as gender fluidity. So um, so we'll just start there. So it doesn't exist. So you're not going to find the word in the Bible. But does the Bible speak to this issue of transgenderism? Does the Bible have verses that speak to that? And if so, what what are they? Okay, so what verse is that? That's my first verse. I got it. Okay. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in what? His own image. God made man in his image. And what does it say? In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. It doesn't say male and female and everything else in between. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find anything but male and female because that's what there is. So, uh, but that's so that's the first verse right off the top, right off the very top. God created male and female. Does the Bible speak to transgenderism anywhere else? Can anybody else think of any passages that would speak to that? Okay, Maxine. Well, that's going to be homosexuality. We're not there yet. Okay, we're transgender. So hang on to that verse. <laughs> we're transgender. Yes. Okay, I don't have that one. Tell us what that says. Do you got it written down? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perp. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so like a man wearing a dress because he thinks he's a woman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I read that verse this week. I actually didn't write that one down. I had so many others, but I didn't write that one down. But yes, that is definitely another verse. Anybody else have another verse that speaks to that issue? And I'll give you a few more. And you don't need to write all these down, folks, unless, other than the ones people give you that aren't on my list. I'm going to give you a cheat sheet at the end. I just don't want you to have it up front. I'm going to give you a cheat sheet with all the verses on it that speak to each one of these cultural issues. But I just want to see what you have first before I give you that. How about, let's go over to Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139, we use this a lot when it comes to abortion, and we'll use it there as well tonight. But Psalm 139, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. And then number 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So what is that verse saying? That verse is saying that my body was formed in the womb. No baby comes out of the womb as a female and manages to change into a male or comes out of the womb as a male and manages to change into a female. doesn't happen. Why? Because that's determined in the womb. That's where it's determined. And so it doesn't happen any other way. Uh, anybody else have any other verse? I'm going to keep going. Brother Brett. I guess generally, um, you know, I think there's some things that, that are just so obviously unnatural that um, I think it, it kind of defies that the fact that it needs to be mentioned. It's, it's completely uh, a broken point of view to think that you can change your gender. It's just so completely, you know. I would agree. I mean, I would agree. To, to me, it, it, it's it's absolutely an ignorant argument because you cannot change who you. I mean, you can cut things off, try to add things, you can do all kinds of weird things. But the long and the short of it, when you're if your DNA were taken, you're male or female. It's one or the other. It's not going to change. Your DNA is not changing because you cut something off or added something to you. Well, for every truth in the Bible, there's many, many falsehoods. Right. Right. So you can. Right. Go way, way out there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what we want to do, so and the purpose in this part of the study is I want us, I mean, we could talk about these issues all day, which is great, but I want us to look what does the Bible specifically teach that would affect this cultural issue? Because we're looking at Bible doctrine. How does it affect this cultural issue? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance uh, that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And, uh, and, and you know what, folks? I, I, I recognize something in this transgender issue. There are doctors across this nation that have taken an oath, an oath to treat people properly when it comes to health. Why do those same doctors do surgery on children to try to change their sex? There's a word in this verse. It's called greediness. It's money. It's money. And, and, and so, so I, I mean, I can't imagine a doctor that's taken an oath that he is going to to treat people health-wise the way they should be treated and then mutilate children. But it happens, and it happens because of the almighty dollar. That's why it happens. Brother Patrick? It would be a little bit lesser thing of that for money, but a lot of the doctors were telling people to take the wrong treatments or not giving the right treatment because they were afraid of losing their... Well, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's some of that as well, I'm sure, yes. I I got no doubt about that. Let's turn over to another passage, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15. 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15 says this. It says, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for her covering. So there's differences. There's difference between man and woman. And, and and just like the verse dealing with dress, 
you should be able to look at somebody and tell if they're a man or a woman. And, uh, and, and so that, that's our, just over back a couple pages, chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Notice what it says. It says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. My body's not mine to try to change. Because God made me in his image, and he made me the way he wanted me to be made, and his son shed his blood for my salvation. So I was purchased. And so it's not my body to change. Okay, so why do we why read so many verses? And the idea is I want you to understand that every, and we're going to do this with each one of these, so we're never going to finish tonight. But I want us to understand that when it comes to cultural issues, the Bible has a lot to say. Amen. Not just not just us trying to, oh, let's go find that one verse to try to pull it out and make it say what we want it to say. No, the Bible has a lot. I am not exhausting the verses that could be used here tonight, but I did, for every single category, find four, five, six, seven verses because I want us to understand that the Bible clearly speaks to these issues. It's not just us pulling one verse out. So let's move in now to homosexuality. And so, Maxine, let's go ahead and go to the verse you mentioned because that's in my list. Uh, Romans 1. And this one we got to read a passage, folks. And we, we read this passage when we studied the book of Romans, but we got to read it tonight. So let's start in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is re- revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. So right before we even get into the part of the passage we're looking for, God has revealed truth. So the people are not living by this. They're living because they have chosen to live in ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now we read on. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and here we go, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into image, made like unto corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creepy things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. That's where a lot is happening today, folks. People dishonoring their bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Okay, so there it is, folks. You know, a lot of people, when you, when, when you challenge somebody about, about homosexuality, a lot of people will say, well, that was in the book of Leviticus. Well, we're going to look at a couple of verses from Leviticus, but this is not Leviticus. This is New Testament. This is the book of Romans. It's not Leviticus. But even if it wasn't in the New Testament, God's word is God's word. But you can take that argument right from the start and say, 
you say it's not it's 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 old testament not new testament this is new testament and this specifically addresses it couldn't be any clearer it talks about man burning in his lust for other man and woman burning in her lust for other woman that's what it's talking about and that's the homosexual movement and so and and it's when they have decided not to worship god they've gotten to a point so far gone in their life that god gives them over to what they desired and god gives them over to that lifestyle so, so we have this passage in Romans, huge passage in Romans, but there's more. Uh, go over to Jude. Uh, Jude, verse 7. It says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was homosexuality. So here again, we have the New Testament pointing back to the Old Testament saying, hey, Sodom and Gomorrah, this was their problem, and they were set forth as what? They're an example to us. The fact that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, why did he do that? He did that because of the homosexual sin that was there. And they're an example for us to look back to and realize that this is an, this is an issue. Now, let's let's go over. Yeah, let's go to Leviticus next. So let's go to Leviticus uh, because there are a couple of verses that clearly speak to this in Leviticus that people try to do away with because they say it's Old Testament. But we just read two New Testament examples. But let's go to Leviticus just for a second, verse uh, chapter eighteen and verse twenty-two. Chapter eighteen and verse twenty-two. It says this. It says, "Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination." Boy, folks, I don't know how it can be any clearer. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, you can't, you can't twist those words. You can't. I mean, it's just straight out, flat out, laying it out. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It's an abomination. And then uh, just over a chat, two chapters, Leviticus 20 and verse 13. It says, if a man also lie with mankind as he lie with the womankind, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And so uh, they've committed an abomination And uh, if they lie. Now, let's go to Matthew. Because what a lot of people will say, well, oh, it's Old Testament. doesn't apply anymore. Now, we already read two passages from the New Testament are very clear. But but just, just for sake of that argument, for a moment, let's we'll, we'll, we'll play into that argument for a minute. Let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 19 and starting verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said to them, Have ye not read that which was made, which made them at the beginning, made them male and female? There's another argument for how they were made. And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Now we read verse 6 at weddings all the time. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. But what did Jesus do in that passage? He made reference immediately back to where? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. And so we, we see that. So that, that's some verses on homosexuality. Did anybody else have another verse on homosexuality that I didn't read? Cody. I don't have a verse, but I know one common argument you'll hear is that they'll say Jesus never specifically forbade homosexuality. 
And one response I've heard from a Christian side is that Jesus was speaking to the Jews who already believed it was wrong. So, so he didn't necessarily okay. bring up everything that they already believed was wrong. He brought right. up the errors they had. And that right. was one of them. And that's why Paul did, where Paul was speaking to the Romans, who like, the Romans and Greeks were horrible in that aspect. Right. right. So he brought it up very strongly, but Jesus didn't because right. his audience. Right, because Paul's ministry ended up being. To, to the Gentiles, because because the Jews refused Jesus Christ. So Paul went to the Gentiles, who practiced, I mean, ridiculous amounts of, of sexual immorality and stuff. And so, yeah, it makes a lot of, lot of sense. Brother Brett. Also, the Lord Jesus said, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law. Right. So all be fulfilled. Right. I'm not come to destroy the law. Right. Fulfilled. He's fulfilling it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so let's go on to our next point. We'll try to get a few of these in tonight before we're done. We don't have a lot of time left. Fiscal responsibility. Fiscal responsibility. Is fiscal responsibility addressed in the Bible? That's a that's an interesting question. And uh, so let's go over. We, uh, we finished a study in the book of Ecclesiastes not too long ago. I finally learned the difference between Ecclesiastes and Ephesians. So um, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. It says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. So when it comes to fiscal responsibility, what does Solomon say here? Solomon says, the guy that loves silver, he's never going to be satisfied that he has enough silver. It's not fiscally responsible. He's never going to be satisfied. Um, With that, Matthew chapter 6. I should ask before I go any further, has anybody got any verses on fiscal responsibility? Hey, Maxine. Okay, yeah, I don't think I have that one. Uh, So let me see if they can find that reference. Well, I read Matthew 6. Matthew 6 and verse 24, it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And then this is the part, this is where the rubber meets the road. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and money. You got you. You can't. It, you you have to be fiscally responsible, but not serve money. Not become the slave, the servant to money. The word "serve" there. That's the idea. It's a slave. Becoming a slave to money. In other words, I've got to keep getting money. I I I think, folks. You know, I, I look at our government and and listen. Our government is the biggest waster of money known to mankind. I mean, absolutely fiscally irresponsible. Completely irresponsible. And, and, and they serve money. They're a slave to money because their answer for everything is money. Right. You, listen, oh, it used to drive me crazy when I was an administrator at a Christian school because, you know, Christian school, uh, you know, at the time we would get, you know, a couple thousand dollars for a student for a year. It's gone up a lot, I know. But back in those days, you get a couple thousand dollars for a student for the year. And we were educating students phenomenally at a couple thousand dollars. And the county I was in at the time, they were getting like $11,000 per student. And they were doing a pitiful job. And I'm thinking, money's not the answer. Right. If, if I can do a wonderful job with students, prepare them to college, have them ready to go into their next stage of life for $2,000, why can't you do it at $11,000? You know, why, why, why the disparity? And the disparity is because they think money's the answer to everything. And so, and, and, it's, and it's not. Proverbs 15, 27. I'm going to see if we hit your verse, Maxine. I, I, I know I read that verse. I can't remember if I wrote it down. It's Romans 13, 8. Romans 13, 8. Okay, so we'll write that one. Oops. 
Romans 13, 8. Okay, 13, 8. Proverbs 15 and verse 27. It says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. He that is greedy of gain. Greediness, so much of the fiscal responsibility deals with greed. Listen, I'm not trying to be political tonight because this is on both sides of the aisle. But, but the people that are supposed to serve us manage to, while they're serving us, become multi-multi-millionaires on a salary that's far less than a million dollars a year. Far less than Yeah, yeah, that's one of them. But there's a lot. Of, but there's a lot. And a lot of times on both sides, yeah. I mean, they're supposed to serve us making, what do they make, about 170-some thousand a year, I think? 174, is it? I think it's $174,000 a year. So you tell me how a congressman makes $174,000 a year, and after they've been in Congress for a few years, they're multimillionaires. See, there, there's a greed factor in there, a money factor that does not have the ideology of fiscal responsibility. You know, and, and, and folks, listen, and, I, and I'll just say this, in your own homes, you've got to be fiscally responsible. You've got to live within your means. And, and listen, I, when I marriage counsel, I spend, I spend a ton of time on this issue, on fiscal responsibility, living within your means. And I, and I can share that because when Joyce and I were first married 36 years ago now, I was not fiscally responsible. I'm responsible. I grew up in a family of spenders. And when they wanted stuff, they bought it. And if they didn't have the money to buy it, they charged it. And I, that's the family I grew up in. Everybody in the family was that way. So guess what I learned? If I want something, I go buy it. Now, when I was a teenager, my parents taught me, responded, hey, if you want something, go get a job, earn the money, go buy it. But when I became an adult and on my own, it was like I wanted that. I don't have the money, so I went and charged it and ran up a lot of credit card debt. That was my fault, not my wife's. And I ran up a lot of credit card debt, and it took us years to unbury ourselves out of that. And I praise the Lord that we are out of that. But, but listen, we need to be fiscally responsible. And this is something we hear about all the time in the news because every time we talk about spending money as a nation for this program or that program, are we fiscally responsible? And most of the time when it comes to our government, the answer is no, we're not. And you can tell that because of all the garbage that gets put in on bills that deal with money. Now, this is not a civics lesson tonight. I'm not, I'm not preaching you a civics lesson. But, if, but when you add millions and millions and millions of dollars onto a bill that deals with a totally separate issue, that's a problem in my mind because that's not fiscal responsibility. If you're dealing with flooding, then everything in that bill should deal with flooding of what you're dealing with. So if you're, so if you're, dealing, with the wild, if, if you're dealing with the fires down in Hawaii right now, there should not be a single penny spent in a bill that is not dealing with the fires in Hawaii right now. We don't need to study the effect on the grasshopper that there was a fire in Hawaii, so we study the effects of a grasshopper in Florida. You know, we don't need to study. But that's the kind of garbage that gets it added into these bills. And we all understand that, you know, the pork that's in the bills. There shouldn't be pork in any bills because the bills should be fiscally responsibly written to deal with the issue at hand. Okay, wow, that's my political piece for tonight. So, anyway, Patrick, go ahead. I completely related, but my mom made an observation. When they were younger and struggling, she recounted that as being about the best days of their life. Yeah, yeah. Some of the happiest people in the world are people that don't have worldly things. Some of the happiest people in the world, they have nothing. Yeah. 
another, you know, when we talk about fiscal responsibility, and greed is the big number one. But the other side, too, and I think that's where a lot of the politicians has to do with control. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you hold the money, you hold control. Right. And, I, you know, when you were doing this, this subject, I didn't know how, but I, my whole focus came, and I had taxes, you know, how uh, that, you know, the IRS uses, their, they have tactics to go after Christian groups and patriotic groups, you know, lo lowest learner. Right. And, and all that. And, and then, you know, thinking about Jesus, he had nowhere to lay his head. And, uh, and then they tried to trap him and say, you know, should, should we pay taxes? And then they threw him a coin. Right. He said, who's pictures on it. Yep. Caesar. You want the Caesar. That's, the, that's in my list of verses. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. Yep. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think a lot of it does boil down to control. Money, money does a lot of things. And, and, and what does the money tell us? The love of money is what? The root of all evil. And so it's not that money is the root of all evil. You can have money and not be it. It's the love of money. It's when money is a controlling force, it, be, it becomes evil. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like talents. When God gives talents out, yeah. Yeah, we're responsible for what God has given us. So so if you've been blessed, you know, if, you know, listen, there there are some very wealthy Christians in this world. There, there are men and women that have been blessed in their jobs, and they've been very responsible, and they are very wealthy, and they're godly. And that's great. They've, they've amassed a lot of money, and a lot of those people are the people that have helped build, like, our good Christian colleges and stuff like that because they've given endowments to them, just like wicked people give endowments to wicked colleges. Uh, we've had good Christian men and women that have given good endowments to good Christian colleges, and that's great. But, yes, we're, you're, you've been given more. You're responsible for more. And, uh, you know, and, that, and that's even and – that, and that boils down to every area of life. Just like, just like for me as a pastor, you know, I am responsible for what I teach you guys, and that, that's sobering. To me, I mean, as pastor, that's sobering. That I have to, I'm going to give an account for what I get up in the pulpit and say. So I don't take it lightly, and and I don't I don't think it's a joke. I, I just was reading a story. Oh my god, I should have made a copy of it. I was I was reading a story and somebody entitled it like the when when religion be, becomes a clown show or something like that. And it was about one of these mega churches that that the, the pastor and his wife got up to preach the other week and they they dressed as Disney whatever, to preach for Sunday morning service. They dressed up as Disney characters to, to entertain and have a good time. And I'm thinking, boy, what, a, what an absolute blasphemy of what church is supposed to be, you know. So don't, I'm not coming as Donald Duck this Sunday. I'm just telling you right now, okay? I'm coming as Ken Biggs. But, uh, but you know, it's just, a, it's just a blasphemy. I don't even know how we got off on all this. But, but it is. You are, we are responsible. We're responsible with what we've, what we've been given. Jason. Okay, I don't have that one. Tell us what that says. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that you would not work and you should Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got uh, I've got First Timothy five eight. Now I thought I saw one on hand. Give me one second. But it says if any but if any provide provide not for his own and especially for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If you won't provide, if you refuse, if you're able body and you refuse to provide for your household, the Bible tells us you've denied the faith and you're worse than infidel. That's pretty. That's pretty powerful language. So did I see another hand somewhere? I thought I saw one more. Well, 
Oh, Patrick, yeah. Yeah, I was talking about what you were about, well, just about the last couple of weeks. They feed on each other. More control can mean more money yeah. and more money. Yeah. yeah, the control plays a big part. All right, folks. We started early tonight, so we're out of time. We will jump back into this next week. So I'm not going to hand out this sheet yet because we've got a lot more to cover. We're going to jump into this next week. The first topic we'll ta tackle next week is racism. Racism. So then we're going to talk about the family and climate. That's going to be fun. <laughs> so, okay. Listen, y'all have a great night. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, I just thank you for the good fellowship we've had tonight. Thank you for everybody that's here, Lord, and just... Uh, Lord, we just thank you that for the love that we can have for each other, Lord. Just take us home safely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't forget the sign-up sheet for the men's uh, steak dinner over there.